like to welcome everyone to the ninth of the COVID calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. These calls are held every weekday at 5 p.m. and are free and open to the public. My name is Scott Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and I'll serve as the host for these discussions. The link to this discussion is the same every weekday. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for guests and topics, and please feel free to suggest yourself as a guest. You can also hear the COVID calls recorded as podcasts. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for the Slow Disaster Podcast. I will also make the link available via Twitter at US of Disaster. Tomorrow, my guest is Amy Hamri. She's Assistant Professor of Medicine, Health, and Society at American Studies, and she's the director of the Mapping Access Project at Vanderbilt University. We're going to talk about disasters and disability and the many complexities of the COVID-19 pandemic with an eye towards disability justice. So please join us for that call. As of today, there are globally 521,086 confirmed cases of COVID-19 according to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center. This is up from 458,927 cases yesterday. 79,785 of those cases are in the United States, up from 62,086 yesterday. There are a total of 1,124 deaths reported in the U.S., up from 869 yesterday. In Italy, there are 80,589 cases reported as of today, with 8,215 confirmed deaths. It looks like the number of cases in the United States is going to eclipse the number in Italy later today or tomorrow. Though we have to keep in mind the population of Italy is about one-fifth that of the United States. And though the focus has rightfully moved here to the United States, at least from the U.S. media and citizens' perspective, this disease demands that we constantly keep an eye on global trends, places where the curve is flattening and places where it isn't. But in less statistical ways, too, there's been an international discourse, one measured out in comparing trust or lack of trust in government, in dread and grief, in ways of coping and finding support. Disaster research has historically been conducted within the confines of the nation state, and yet if this pandemic teaches us nothing, it's that those old modes are now defunct. We need global methods of research, global teams of experts, and also globally forged communities of empathy if we're gonna bend the curves towards survivability. And with that in mind, I am really glad to have this COVID calls discussion today with three guests who will give us their perspectives on the pandemic situation in Italy and talk about the comparability of Italy and the United States. So let me introduce them. First, Paolo Cavalieri. Paolo is a PhD student in the Urban Affairs and Public Policy Program at the University of Delaware, where he is also affiliated with the Disaster Research Center. He holds a bachelor's and master's degree in emergency management from the University of Perugia, Italy. Paolo built a strong background in emergency management with the Italian Red Cross, which I want to ask him about today, where he serves in both the civilian and military branches. Luisa Cortesi is an anthropologist of disasters, in particular floods and water pollution from the perspective of environmental knowledge and social inequality. She's currently the Stanford H. Taylor Postdoctoral Fellow in Science and Technology Studies and Anthropology at Cornell University. And she'll be joining the Institute of Social Sciences at Erasmus University in the Netherlands as an assistant professor in the fall. Giacomo 
Perinello is assistant professor of environmental history at the Paris Institute of Political Science, Science Po, author of the book Fault Lines, an urban and environmental history of the 1908 Messina earthquake and the 1968 Belice earthquake in Sicily. He's writing a book on the environmental history of water and capital in the Po Valley, where the COVID-19 epidemic has hit the hardest in Italy. So Giacomo, Paolo, Luisa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Scott, for inviting me. I just want to remind everyone that this is an open discussion, so we have some questions to get to, but also please feel free uh, to put your questions in the, in the chat or, um, yeah, that's the best way. There's also a Q&A function as well. So let's, let's jump right in. Um, I guess this is a question to everyone, but Giacomo, I'm going to put it to you first. Could you just bring us up to date what the situation is there now in Italy? Is the curve flattening or, or not? Well, it is, it's not clear yet. Uh, it's not clear yet. There have been signs and they've been much advertised. Uh, about us signs of at least you know slowing down of the of the uh, acceleration of, of cases yet uh, it's it's not clear for a variety of reason whether this first of all whether this data are, are are viable and I think this is the one point we need to remember and that the Italian cases is showing uh, clearly I mean it, there is there is of course the question of how testing policy affects uh, what we know about cases uh, and I think this is a global problem and it seems uh, and this is particularly true uh, at least for for Lombardy um, that even the the death uh, the, the number the number of, of fatalities is is not accurate uh, I know that the uh, mayor in, in, in Bergamo has been claiming that for at least one week now, that uh, the number of uh, dead people in, in the, the municipality over the last uh, month or so has uh, nothing to do with uh, normal, quote-unquote, uh, mortality rates in the municipality over the last uh, 10 uh, years average. So, uh, and and however, uh, just a very small percentage of of this of this that people are are counted as COVID victims. So here the point is that we we might actually have like a four uh, fourfold uh, in, in increase compared to what we know. Uh, so I I would say that from for, for, for what I know for what I'm seeing uh, we are still in the midst of the storm. Louisa, let me come to you and, and ask um, what has been going on in terms of the medical facilities and the ability of the medical system to hold up under, under this really intense strain? Yeah, thank you, Scott, for this question. You know, I'm, I'm precisely from Bergamo, from, from the area which has been most affected. And I concur with what Giacomo said. And I would add that even the authorities now are claiming that the possible number of cases is off by a factor of 10. So when they're talking about 60,000, they're actually talking about 600,000. And a lot of cases in terms of that are off at least by a factor of four, if not more, as Giacomo was saying, primarily for, for, for several reasons. One is because a lot of people are dying at home alone. And secondly is because a lot of cases are not, you know, are, are just, um, are rich 
registered as recorded at, based on the the most apparent cause of that that can be a heart attack it can be a pulmonary disease they're not necessarily recorded as covid-19 unless there've been a test you know if unless there has been a positive test and and most and and the 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 hospital now are only um, testing people who are admitted. They are not even testing their own personnel, and there is a backlash of um, at least at least seven days to get the results. So it's 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 fairly impossible to determine whether people are positive or not, even when they are dying. So the only way to, for us to know uh, who is actually, you know, to have a sense of the statistics of this, and I'm, I'm actually currently right now writing an article, an op-ed or, or, or hopefully an academic article on, on the numbers, the curve and the interpretation of all of that, it will be later on to compare, uh, as Giacomo said, to the normal cause of that. But we also have to acknowledge the fact that a lot of hospitals have been um, reconverted into a hospital for the coronavirus emergency, which means that we are not providing health assistance to anybody else. So there are lots of people who are dying because of reasons which are unrelated, and that's because we are not in a position to offer medical assistance. And, and, and we have to think uh, about the fact that it is a unitary state, so governed by one central state with some form of decentralization, some form of autonomy, by units called regions that are more or less equivalent to the states here in the US, but you have a public health system, you know, and if you compare this with the United States, it's, it's probably, it was probably, um, it was probably still to our advantage to have that. Although there, there are many responsibilities in the way in which this health system has been, um, has been managed according to private principles for at least two decades that, later on will have to be to be addressed um to 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 see what else could have been done and to learn from from um from this emergency i definitely want to get to these issues of governmental you know concern both central state the states and then the eu as well but i want to louisa can i stick with you for a second and ask you about the testing situation what you're describing is an, is similar to what's how some people have described what we could be looking at in the United States because of the very slow um, ability to get the tests delivered and and now you know maybe that's passed I mean that it'll won't be possible to do that and we'll be doing antibody testing later. Can you speak a little bit to that? Was that similar to the case in Italy that the there was a problem getting the tests? Well, there were, there were several problems in Italy. The first is that there was a lack of centralized protocols um, or an overlapping of responsibilities. So the central state have issued certain protocols on, on a number of, of issues related with healthcare. But as I mentioned, the region have some, some form of autonomy. So they were also emitting their own protocols. And in between those, a number of people were just, you know, just the hospitals themselves were taking... Um, taking their own calls uh, to how, who could be tested and when. Um, the problem in that situation is that we have changed protocol a number of times and decreased the number of testing, even as the emergency was coming up. Not necessarily because there weren't tests available, but because the time and the resources to process those tests was very long and, and rare and scarce and complicated, which does talk to uh, to a number of factors in terms of not only or, of organization, but also of uh, forms of how the society could chip in and help. There have been a, a case which, which has been 
you know, resonated in several ways and uh, because Lombardia is one of the main producer of those tests and the United States has bo have bought an, an incredible amount of those. So now we are probably facing some form of scarcity. Uh, but it seems that for a long time, the main issue was the, the resources of how to process those tests and, and in time. Mm. Paolo, let, and, me, yeah, Paolo let, let me come to you. To, if, could you explain to us a little bit just the breakdown of authority here between health service, emergency management services, you know, in terms of, you know, how well they perform to, you know, in the United States, there's a lot of agencies that people only have a passing familiarity with that now they're learning an awful lot about. So break it down for us in the Italian case. Sure. Thank you. Um, so the emergency management system in Italy is called civil protection and it's called civil protection mostly across the European countries. So the way is designed in Italy, we have a central agency, the Italian Civil Protection Department. Then we have regional department. So every region has its own civil protection department. So going back to the EMS services, so and the fire services, which are the essential and critical services in Italy, so the fire service is a national one. It's not like the United States where you have municipal or private fire service or county. In Italy, it's a national fire service. While on the other side with the EMS, in some cases, physicians and nurses are provided by the region. So because the health system is on a regional level, every single region design its own guidelines for providing health care in terms of EMS. So for example, in my region, in some cases, we have ambulances coming from non-profit organizations like the Red Cross, but the health system provides physicians and nurses or paramedics. And every region has its own system. So the way it works in my region is not the way it works uh, in Lombardy or in Piedmont or in other northern regions. So for the emergency management part, so the National Civil Protection Department has established a command and control system. So basically, the, every region in some ways it's autonomous, but for the the way it's designed, the, the highest level, the central government provides the necessary resources to the regions. So basically it's like FEMA providing additional resources to every single state when a, an emergency declaration comes up from the state or from the federal government. Uh, we have a, a great potential in Italy because it's based on nonprofit organizations like the Red Cross and other organizations providing health services and other emergency management organizations that provide support to either municipalities, provinces, regions, and the central state, the Italian Civil Protection Department. So right now we have uh, thousands of volunteers working in ambulance uh, mostly in Lombard, Northern Italy. So because the spread of the virus is still concentrated in the Northern part of Italy, and most of the, the biggest part of nonprofits are moving toward the Northern part of Italy, but we are still keeping resources for the Southern part of Italy. 
So I can tell you, for example, in my region, there are, and it's a small region, and my region is more than Delaware. So we have 15 hospitals, and only the Red Cross is providing at least 20 to 30 volunteers to provide pre-triage interviews outside the emergency rooms at every single hospital. So the effort carried out by these nonprofits and all the medical personnel is huge. And it's backed up by all these regional systems, civil protection systems that are on a regional basis. So Giacomo, I mean, you're all describing a really fluid situation and thank you for giving us this context. I wanna, I wanna sort of get a sense of public reaction as best we can. So how is the, Giacomo, I'll ask you first, but maybe everyone would want to comment on this. How's the media covering this story? Uh, Americans have gotten very used to the five o'clock. In fact, you're all competing with the president right now, president of the United States, who's giving a press conference. Um, and of course, we have a lot of um, trust issues in the United States that some of them are perennial, but some of them are unique to this situation because of how poorly the government has done, the federal government has done in messaging what they're doing. Is it a similar situation in Italy? Take me inside that, that story. Well, I'm, th well th thank, you. thank you for the question, uh, Scott. Um, I, I don't know how similar it is to the United States. I think that uh, Trump uh, way of uh, dealing with this is, is, is unique in the, in the depth of uh, the you know the ignorance and the shallowness and the recklessness. Um, I've I've been actually retracing uh, a lot of the debate uh, since the beginning, just to you know put stuff in order over the last week. You know, just you know going back to newspapers and and the decrees and the chronology and so on. And uh, and I was surprised at, at you know at, at seeing the stages of this. You know what's what's really um, it's 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 interesting in in a in a negative way, of course, um, the, the the stages at which uh, this this thing has been has been treated from the very beginning, in which you see, uh, you know, the first news arriving of something happening in China, uh, and as always with a lot of you know uh, distances and, and orientalism in in treating uh, in treating the issue, um, up to the very first cases, which are imported cases. Uh, and, and we're talking here of, of January, and, and, and there you saw all the classic repertoire of the worst uh, racism uh, and uh, raging from, uh, you know, I, I, I better not repeat that, but all the, a lot of racist tropos on, uh, against the, the Italian Chinese population and, um, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and then things went basically quiet. You know, there was a, a little bit of discussion in, in end of January and then things got sort of quiet. Everything was under control. There was a lot of discussion of everything being under control and all the, the, the you know, all the, the, the institutions were prepared and, and there was nothing to fear and that everything will be perfectly in order and perfectly fine up to the discovery of this cluster in Lombardy. And that was like one month later in, 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 in late February. And then, you know, all of a sudden you see all this, this huge headlines in the newspapers, like the virus is among us and, and we've been invaded and so on and so forth. So a lot of, uh, you know, bumping up the story. Uh, and then again, and this is really uh, 
strange unless you start looking at the numbers. It, it goes, you know, it calms down uh, for, for a while. Uh, from, from the very first cases, which are 21st, 22nd of February, uh, in which, you know, everything is, is, is alarmed and, and they, they lock down the cities, the 11 cities in which it seems there have been cases concentrated. And then you have a couple of days in which, you know, everything seems fine. Uh, there's actually not so many people in intensive care. And I think this is what explains also the reaction. Not a lot of people in intensive care at the beginning on February 24th, February 25th, February 26th. And so actually you have all the media and the politicians saying, well, actually, perhaps we're kind of overblowing this. You know, mm. we should open back businesses. And you have the mayor of Milan saying that. And you have the leader of the Lega Nord saying that. Uh, and you have all sorts of uh, key figures, including the leader of the Democratic Party, the equivalent sort of this. this and going to Milan to, to you know, drink uh, uh, an aperitivo to show that there was nothing to fear and then Milano was going to start again yeah. and so mm. on. Um, and, and then things get back to, you know, the 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 most serious serious tone and alarm tone uh, and that seemed to have prevailed up to, up to now uh, with, with, of course, I'll, 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 and I mean, I don't want to, uh, you know, to talk too much on this point, but there've been a lot of interesting ways in which blame has been distributed also in the media, uh, which, which I think deserves also some, some consideration. Uh, a lot of blame on individuals, uh, a lot of blame on individual behaviors, which, you know, that might certainly be a problem, but perhaps uh, not enough discussion on this more structural issues that both Paolo and, and Luisa were, were evoking, you know. Uh, how the, the institutions and the, the health infrastructure uh, was very ill-prepared to dealing with that. Now that's, um, thank you for that. I mean, it's become a, a sort of, it helps me understand or put it in a broader context, you know, these um, little videos that have been going around the internet of the Italian mayors, you know. And on the one hand, of course, uh, who doesn't like to watch a short video of a mayor yelling at people and scolding them. But on the other hand, doesn't that focus our attention in exactly the wrong place that they're out there scolding one person for, uh, you know, being in the streets when there should be the scolding should perhaps go in a, in a different direction. Louisa, do you want to comment on that or, or at anything yeah. about this sort of media issue? Yeah, I mean, on one side, I have to say that, the, you know, I started disasters in mostly in India, but, but even in the United States, you have, and this is something that I'm, plan, I'm planning to work on in the future, you have the circumstances in which uh, the majority of, of people who die in the casualties on disaster are happening because people were not listening to the authorities. And, and those voices are very rarely heard. And this is important. I, I mean, in this, in this emergency, which is, of course, a medical emergency, but not only one, we have mostly heard voices from, of doctors, but we haven't heard much from social scientists. We haven't heard much from disaster experts. And the, the, you know, the, 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 the press, I think, has, has a huge responsibility, as Giacomo was saying, not only in Italy, but even here. Uh, to be honest, I sent an, an op-ed in March 3rd to several presses saying the situation is going to be even worse in the United States because you have issues of inequality which are much more serious than what we have in Italy. And the response was that, you know, we don't want to publish something which is alarmist. And I'm, t and you know, and even, even, even as far as yesterday or two days ago, the New York Times published 
uh, uh, an array of uh, experts saying completely contradictory things about what social distancing means. I mean, I think the press is, is, is as, a, as a huge responsibility that needs to be taken in consideration, not only in Italy, as Giacomo was rightly reflecting, but even in the United States. It has been, it has been focusing only on, uh, on one part of, of, of the people who have a say on this, and often those information are contradictory. And, and I, see, I can see in the chat that, uh, that uh, somebody asked about the, the death number and whether the press is discovering this in terms of death number. That has been a major change in how this, this emergency has been covered in Italy finally talking about people dying this is you know the people who think this is an issue of care this is an issue of um, you know it's something normal no it was not it this, we are mourning our death and in ways that we haven't seen since the second world war or more I mean of course uh, it is a different situation in the sense that we are all at home we have our eating on we have our fridges full with groceries and in the second world war it was not the same but at the same time this is the, this, this requires the man management which goes beyond um, we are beyond just care so so talking about, uh, I mean, the, 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 the fact that the press has taken on talking about stuff which are much more sobering and, 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 um, and talking about disaster eventually and people dying, it is an important change. Well, let's stay with this question of trust for a minute, because this is a question that Kim Fortune is asking about whether or not the Italian press um, has covered this problem with the death rate and with the actual death numbers? I mean, is that an issue that the press is actually itself covering this problem of the count? And then Gonzalo Basagalupe is also asking, similarly, um, you know, now that those, those reports seem to be, I mean, as you said, maybe they're off by a factor of 10, they're staggering enough as they are right now. Is there some number or threshold that was passed that actually got the public sort of um, alerted to this and to just we, I think we need to talk a little bit more about this issue of trust and at what point it sort of generally emerged as a as a crisis from the public's perspective I'll throw that up to any of you who want to who want to tackle that well w one thing I might want to just to, to say and then I'll, I'll, I'll let others uh, add whatever they, they want so from what I've seen from this this press review that I've done in in last days is that this question, especially of, of, of death rates and how the, the official data are, are reliable or not, to me, it seems to be more uh, directly addressed by the local press. Uh, the, the articles that I found on this are local articles, like the Eco di Bergamo, uh, which is the newspaper from, from Bergamo, and you find similar uh, in, in other local newspapers uh, of, of the most affected area. I haven't yet, uh, so this might be, actually I think today perhaps it was the first, uh, today or yesterday, the first sign in the, in the national press that there might be issues with these numbers uh, for all the reasons that, that we discussed. Uh, so, I think this is an important point. I mean, also in regard to, to the question of how the, the emergency and the, the crisis itself emerges as a crisis. I think there, there have been different moments depending on also on the geography of, of the crisis itself. Mm. Um, for me personally, uh, a, a sort of a wake-up call has been when I was talking to a friend in Cremona, a very dear friend of mine who's, who's in Cremona, who's also a very uh, much uh, hard-hit city in, in Lombardy. And that was already three weeks ago. And, and he was saying, you know, 
we we hear only ambulances. There's no the normal places in intensive care. They if if you have an accident, a car accident or whatever, you just have to be uh, shipped away of 100 kilometers, 150 kilometers. There's just no way you can be cured anymore. Mm. So it's not it's not just the question. I mean, that Louisa was saying that, and I think it's an important point that needs to be to, to be remembered. I mean, you have a, in certain areas a point at which the very possibility of the state infrastructure to ensure the health of, of citizens, it's, it's, it's not so sure anymore. I think it's a big deal. And, and I think, you know, as, as soon as this question became sort of a understood, this is what scaled up the crisis and the emergency. And I think even for the, for the authority. If, if you look at what the, the governor of Lombardy, who's a very particular character in many ways, uh, how, how is there, he has reacted. I think this was one of the kind of tipping points. Uh, up to the 26th, he was still saying, you know, no big deal, no big deal, it's overblown. And then all of a sudden, like in one mm -hmm. day, he changed line. And what, what did he say the very day in which he changed line, saying, no, actually, this is serious. Mm -hmm. Well, we have 10% of people in intensive care in Lodi, in one night. And so as soon as you realize that, you know, even if you like uh, that everything is normal, you just cannot any longer. Let me get to, there's many questions coming in. I want to actually, I want to throw this one to Paulo to you first. Um, this is a question from Patrick Roberts. So we're going to talk about governance here for a second. And he's wondering what's the role of the European Union in the response to the crisis? Is there a possibility for EU-wide data exchange? Uh, messaging or even ventilator sharing. And we had Daniel Lawrence on last week talking about the situation in Germany. And at that time, there seemed to be some possibility that, um, that COVID sufferers could even be somehow shipped for medical treatment to Germany. And I don't know if that's materialized. So can you put this in a sort of broader European and EU perspective for us? Yeah, thank you. So by its very nature, the European Union is like a a coordinating structure. So they don't have a primary role in responding. They coordinate the member states. So in this case, they are trying to supply resources and trying to get resources from every state who have enough to share with other countries. So that's the major role of the European Union. And they're trying also to support troubles in trying to get you know european citizens from other states outside the european union with specific flights the european commission is trying to organize from uh, in and outside the european union so this is what i know now knowing what the role of the eu is in this situation for the exchange of data i think the eu and probably mostly with the JRC, with the Joint Research Center, which is in Italy, they are already collecting data and they will share data as soon as all the situation will come down and they can make a point of the situation somewhere uh, throughout the year. But for now, the major role is just coordinating and sharing you know, resources. On the other side, there is another important role, which is the economic role of the European Union. So because we have a specific, uh, so let's say every country cannot 
So by the end of the year, so I'm not an economist. So whatever comes from economy is not for me. But as far as I know, the national debt cannot be increased uh, yearly. But in this case, the, the European Commission has allowed every country to increase the debt to tackle all these difficult crises that every country is facing. I want to, um, Luis, I want to come to you. There's a question here also from Patrick Roberts, and it actually taps into one I have as well. So Italy is no, um, as a country, is no stranger to disasters. I mean, some of these are, you know, quite remarkable in the scale, earthquakes, volcanoes. I mean, the history of disaster itself as a social science in part comes from looking at Italian cases. Um, so I would have thought the sort of trust in, this is back to your point about social science research. I would have thought that the trust and the connectivity between experts and public authorities would be pretty strong. And, and it comes back to this issue of blame too. I mean, I'm remembering this case with the scientists um, and the earthquake prediction and, you know, the sort of issue of, of risk and what happens when science scientists get it wrong. I mean, this is an active discourse in Italy, isn't it? The, the role of research is supposed to play a positive uh, force in making the country prepared for disaster and to inform good disaster response. So can you say a little bit more about this problem of expertise? I mean, it seems like your experts are in absolute crisis. Um, you have to unmute, Louisa. Yeah, sorry. Are you asking this question to Paolo? For maybe that is, is an expert on, on earthquake and disasters in... Well, I, in it's a... It's a it's a question for each of you, but I wanted to get into this issue of, of expertise because we, um, I think also this recent case, as I was saying about the, the seismologists and the, the ability of the public to actually hold experts accountable seems, I mean, that sense is pretty remarkable. So I wonder how we think of that in terms of, you know, what's happening there right now. Because it, as I said, it seems like there's expertise and disarray, well, in lots of countries, but in Italy certainly the way you've described it. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the issue of holding, holding expert and government accountable, I honestly think this, this will have to come at a later stage um, in the sense that now, as, as some friends of mine who are doctors um, uh, are saying, all hands are required to operate the ventilators. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, a lot of the discussion remind me of, of Sontag, the, the, the work on the pain of others. And, and I also remind critically on myself on, on when friends from Syria, uh, when the, the war started and in several circumstances when I didn't get uh, what was happening. I think, um, I think the, the issues of, you know, issues of blame and responsibility will have to, to discuss, uh, to be discussed a little later. Now, the situation is, is something beyond what we, you know, we have to, we have to, to have a little patience and, and a little, uh, and, and realize and pause for a second uh, for, to, to take in the, the sobering 
discovering news. You know, I, as I mentioned, I come from an area be, between Bergamo and Brescia, which is the two most most province. Uh, in my in the street where I grew up, um, at least ten people died. A lot of my close friends and relatives are in the ICU right now. Uh, we are we are talking about I don't I don't have you know I don't have a word to describe this is is not a catastrophe is worse is we have lost a generation the generation of the elders in my community is gone you know everybody I know which was above seventy five or or so is no more uh, this is this is something which is. I think which we need to, I, I, would, I would like us to frontline because whatever discussion is happening in Italy or even here needs to take that situation in, in as, as, a, as a way to contextualize what we are talking about. And, and even here, you know, when people are saying, let's, let's talk about the economy and they are not realizing, what are we, what are we really talking about? I'm, I'm actually surprised if I have to, you know, if I have to be honest that uh, by the intelligence, I'm surprised that this country is improvising. You know, I thought that you had a plan for an epidemic, for a disaster. I sort of overestimated the preparedness of, 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 uh, of this situation in running by the book of, of uh, pandemic or, or other emergency scenarios. And, and I think that we don't, we, we haven't really, we haven't really figured out um, how to coordinate the different expertise to put this scenario in place. And I wonder if, we're, if, if there was any way in which we can learn from that instead of returning to a situation which as a business of, of, of uh, you know, as usual. Um, and, and of course, I mean, you still, you still hear politicians in Italy which keep on fighting, which keep on making up the, the, most, the most petty excuse to, to go against each other when, when this is beyond, um, this is beyond, this is, this is far beyond those fights. And I think that's, that's the one thing that people are upset about. And I wonder even if here, uh, something like that could shake up the way in which people yeah. are taking political decisions. Well, I mean, there's the plan and there's the execution of the plan. And it's one of the things I've been talking about with emergency managers here in the United States is, is why didn't, why weren't there plans for disasters that were of this scale? And, and then we're just talking about one kind of disaster. There are going to be others that are going to happen in the midst of this. I don't know, Paolo, let me throw that to you. I mean, you know, Italian emergency management really well. I mean, were they not planning for this? Were they not doing tabletop exercises to prepare for for a pandemic? I mean, what's what's the story there? Why is such a, a poor, uh, what seems to be a sort of poor response? So um, we have a plan. It was established in 2007 after the avian flu. And it was a national plan. So the national plan, it's mostly a guideline. And then every region, as a, its own plan designed for its own system. But if you write down a plan and you put that plan in a drawer, it's like not having a plan. And nobody knows there was a plan. Because I found it on the internet, the national pandemic plan. And now they are really improvising every response from the very beginning. They waited too much time because the prime minister said, oh, there's a remote chance that the virus is coming to Italy. And a month later, 
near the first case. So going back to the expertise, and this is my, uh, the way I understand and the way uh, I think this war, because this is a war against a, an invisible enemy. So the National Commissioner for Emergency Management at this moment is the head of the Civil Protection Department. But unfortunately, he doesn't have a background in medical sciences. He's an accountant. He's an accountant. An accountant, yes. Uh-huh. For, for the financial office of the Civil Protection Department. Yeah. So the, they couple the Civil Protection Department with the National Health Institute. But then they left out probably one of the best organizations in this country, the military health. They have a structure in place, they have training, they have resources, especially for CBRNE. And that's why now we have the Russians coming with virologists and you know, soldiers trained for anthrax and Ebola. So the way the system is, has been organized around this crisis mm -hmm. is not working properly from the very beginning. I want to react and come thank you for that. I want to come back to Louisa, something you said, because it's generated some discussion here in the chat and for me, and you may all know that there's, a, um, I don't know why I'm ever surprised by anything these days in the United States, but a discourse around the idea that older Americans um, need to just uh, get with the program. Everybody needs to go back out, forget the sheltering. We need to get the economy running by Easter. This was Trump's idea a couple of days ago. And there have been various government officials, including the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, who went on TV and said, basically, yeah, it's fine. Older folks just have to pay the price. And Glenn Beck has said the same thing. So we have these, um, you know, this, I mean, again, I don't know why it's, it still surprises me, but when it's put so directly, um, that we would say, yeah, let's sacrifice the vulnerable in society so that our stock portfolio doesn't tank. It's just disgusting. And it comes back to, and I think, you know, Louisa, your point, you know, the reality that they're, you know, people above a certain age disappearing from neighborhoods, that there's a sort of generation of loss there. And one of our, Eileen was talking about this in the chat about how this sort of taps into the experience of the AIDS crisis in the United States and a generation gone. So I think we've got to really talk about this more and think about this. We're going to need another session to talk about grief and to talk about intergenerational um, grief, because it's not acceptable to talk about sacrificing older people or younger people for any reason in a democracy or even not in a democracy. It's just not, it's not correct. But it seems like, I don't know, that hasn't inspired as much anger as I thought it would in the US. I wanna, um, I so I'm gonna put a pin in that. Giacomo, I wanna come back um, to you as a specific question here, which I think you can field, and that is this one um, coming from Caitlin. She says, going from earlier discussion on blame and shame, she's wondering what local community responses are regarding surveillance, community surveillance. In her community in the Como region, surveillance and shame and blame from neighbors on social media seems to be rising. This community, she says, has strong Lega support and COVID is exacerbating tensions that are already present with migrant communities. Can you talk more about this? Well, this is, my sense is there's a lot of ugly stuff going on and that this, this, uh, this, this, uh, this probably necessary uh, 
sort of form of, of education of the population to stay home and not you know and not to, not to go out has, has some some political implications that we we need to you know uh, to keep in mind so how blame is distributed for that it's 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 so important and my sense is that a lot of tension has been generated i mean i was reading about also episodes even in the south you know of, of people being aggressed you know people just walking the dog and and this is uh you know those, those are small stories but what about migrants what about homeless people uh who cannot shelter so my problem with that though and and i just want to come back to to i think also to the point of of the economy is that it, it precisely shifts the blame away from the real problem which also in, in in lombardy has been and and nationwide has been the fact that factories and working places have not shut down hmm. not to the very last uh less less minute and not completely there's been a lot of discussion on whether this should have happened or not and this is something you're seeing also in the united states this is something that i'm seeing also in france you know this what trump put in such open and and, and you know brutal way is something which is actually underlying in my sense the discussion about what should be done you know whether we actually have to you know sacrifice that much of the economy or not and, and and so you have working places that have been factories that have been running up to a couple of days ago and even the very last decree of, of sunday which finally you know after one month of debates and and after a menace of, of a general strike by the unions uh, finally started to shutting down places finally you know with I don't know how many uh, thousands that, perhaps dozens of thousands, if we take into account the, the, the real data that come mm -hmm. from, from the local authorities, they're finally shutting down places uh, and not entirely, not completely, not, not, not even, not even uh, so th there was this first decree with a list of activities that should shut down and, and, and then there was an, a, a huge negotiation with the, the Association of Industrialists, Confindustria, you know, pushing against this until the very minute. I mean, is this, this is the same kind of, of trade. It's, it's the same kind of, you know, trading human life against, you know, against business. And I think it's important that we talk about responsibility. I, I understand and I think it's very important that we put at the forefront grief and what's happening now. But we should not forget that it's not finished yet, that a lot more life that could be saved, and I'm mm. thinking you're even just in Italy of what could happen in the south, where where health system is even in worse shape than in the north. Mm -hmm. So I think it's 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 important that we keep, you know telling what, what's wrong in terms of structural problems and not, you know, blaming the, the, the right. people walking their dog. Blaming the victim. Let me come yeah. to a couple of points here. Um, Karen Gadbois, who's the editor of The Lens in New Orleans, which is right now has the highest um, per capita rate of COVID infection in the United States. She says, in her neighborhood after Hurricane Katrina, we had a chance to mourn our neighbors who drowned because the event had ended. Now we have multiple layers of grief globally and no opportunity to grieve. She has, is asking all of you, are you seeing any physical manifestations of grief on the street, posters or announcements, and that 
Um, I want to add another question that was from earlier that Mike Fisher was asking about the role of photography and images in this. I mean, how are people, this is a disaster that is occurring largely indoors, which means we're struggling to find images and, we, and, and representations of it, which is crucial to how we process and how we grieve. That's a question for any of you who want to take it, but I think this is worth thinking with a little bit. Karen, thanks for the question. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna, Scott, uh, bring the the conversation, these these things that you have asked uh, together with other conversation that with other threads that uh, we put into um, in the center of the discussion um, in the the last few intervention about worse and about civil responsibility. I think um, I think the, what you mentioned about sacrificing. Is, is, is extremely scary because uh, it's clear that the war is the most relevant precedent and it's clear that neither of Italy or, or the US have lived uh, a, a war in, you know, in, in um, sort of in living memory in, and in, in our territory. So we don't, we, we are, that's possibly part of how this, is, this has been beyond the imaginable. Um, but on the other side, um, there are the, the thinking about the war in terms of the economy is important because prioritizing um, you know the workforce in these circumstances is crucial and I haven't seen a big move in in the US in the discussion in doing that you know in any war there are still people who continue to make money out of it sure. and uh, issues of of who can make their part and who can cut on their profits in order to contribute has not gone beyond the idea of making donations and and that's I, I, I think this is a, a, a sick way of doing it. I mean, the big question in Italy has been whether the war industry is seen as essential. And it seems it is. And workers will keep on working with the same safety protocols, which means without masks. So uh, who is making friends? And, you know, the same question came up here when the president said that the, that the, um, the insurances have waived the cost of treatment for COVID-19 and then he was corrected by the insurances lobby that says no only the testing cost has been dismissed so a big a big question here is that uh, is, is who is making money out of it and and the, that, that calls us to talk about the fact that I, I believe this is not only a medical emergency it's a social emergencies and community needs can can really do a lot more um, what you were and and you know what you're talking about before about about um, about uh, photographs there have been um, the photograph of a protest of, of somebody writing on the on the city on city hall um, that why only politicians and football players are getting tested and why my uncle and my and my uh, grandfather cannot do that and this has been dismissed by everybody uh, without giving attention to it. So yes, there is a lot of mourning. There are there, is, there are lots of problems which are happening indoors, and I think we are giving up on our on our ability to intervene. I think we really need. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the last one who want to call for for a stronger state intervention, um, but I think we need to learn a, a sociality, a different form of of social intervention and. And I'm, I'm even thinking about in my social districts where I live in Ithaca, the fact that the schools are closed and 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 um, and, and and a lot of people are staying home and a lot of domestic violence is happening without anybody noticing 
who can take responsibility, who can take a different social role and make a phone call, you know, for example, teachers to students or, mm -hmm. or doctors to people who don't have kids and are alone, isolated. Um, there is, that in Italy, you have seen some uncoordinated actions towards that, but there is a lot to be done and a lot to, to do. I think municipalities right now should be on, you know, making lists of who has expertise to offer. Um, you know, you try to shop online and, uh, and at your grocery store, and it's impossible to, 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 to get a delivery or to, to, to get a curb delivery of your of your grocery because they don't have stuff and yet there are so many people who have been lied off um you know there is there is a lot happening in every little house in every little community and i think we need to learn a way to 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 uh to build those those networks um and, and probably to do it from, from at the municipality level, not just to let uh, organization to do this because we need the coordination. We need to, to attend to everybody. Uh, the fact that there are people, you know, in, in, in Italy, there are, many, there are many people who have written, I've, I've, I've called 911 or the equivalent. Um, and, and because my, you know, because I'm, I'm extremely sick and I'm at home alone and, um, and I've given up on it. Uh, goodbye, everybody. There is nothing I can do. They're not answering. They haven't answered for three hours. And, and I, don't, I don't get how, how it, this is not only a 911 job. This is everybody's job. We need to organize uh, our society differently to take care of it. We don't have a social welfare, a social state. Well, let's make one. Right. Um, this, this needs to be a wake-up call on many levels. It's not just the politician work. It's not just the doctor's work. It's, it's each of our job. And, and we need to, to, to step beyond our comfort zone to do it. Seems like that's that's quite often to me the the hardest. And we talk a lot about lessons from disaster. We often confine those to govern governmental or or coordinated you know lessons where we're looking at um, governmental structures. Um, but uh, boy, you get off of that and you start looking at these deeper structures that are revealed and the spraying of the social contract. Frankly, in lots of ways, that's really I think staggering. Um, to people when it's exposed in, in all of this. Uh, and usually it's exposed in one community or one city at a time. We're talking about it being exposed literally in whole countries simultaneously. So much for us to try to take yeah. in all at once. I want to just get, we have four four or five minutes left, and I wanted to just um, give each of you a chance, something you wanted to say, a final comment. Um, the, the one thing I think a lot of our, our listeners are going to be interested in is if you had any Anything that you think people in the United States need to take away from what's happening right now in Italy, um, what should that be? But, you know, address that or anything else else you want. So let me just go, to, go down the line. Giacomo, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay, and then we'll, we'll um, sure. come to Paolo, and then we'll come to, to Luisa. Thank you. Yeah, so thanks. Uh, just, I think if, if there is w one thing that, I, that, that I, in my sense, the Italian case is, is showing, and that relates very much to what Luisa was saying, is that uh, the dream of the dream or the nightmare, uh, I should say, of you know sacrificing part of the population for the economy is just impossible. It's, it just doesn't work. What what is what is showing this 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 crisis is that it's completely breaking up the entire healthcare. So it's not just 
about who you might want in a very sick calculus of, of, you know, of what life is worth, which is disgusting in itself, of course. But even if you assume this logic just doesn't work, it's breaking up. And if it breaks up, it's the very fabric of society. So what it's showing us is how much, you know, actually having healthy body is, is, is a fundamental essence of, you know, of, of the social contract. Uh, and, and it's, it's just that it's, there's no way out of this crisis without a, a deep restructuring of, 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 of everything. There's, there's no easy way out. Paulo, can um, you summarize, is there anything you wanted to add to that or anything we didn't get to you wanted to raise? Yeah, just uh, very quickly. Um, so, because I study a lot of nonprofit organizations, one of the things I would suggest in the US context is to give nonprofits uh, more opportunities to participate in this situation. I know it's tough, but I guess, you know, nonprofits have that kind of bridging role between the government and the population. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen in some cases in Italy, people don't trust the government especially when it comes to communicate in a crisis situation. I guess in some ways, you know, give, give much more, you know, uh, increase the role of nonprofits in some cases can help, you know, the survival of organization. Mm. Because, you know, people are always looking for somebody who can provide reliable information or, you know, somebody to trust them. As I've seen, so for example, in my study with nonprofits in, uh, after Hurricane Sandy in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Louisa, I'm going to give you the last word on this headline for people in the United States. Yeah, uh, I, already, I think I already talked about what I think it's, it's important to consider. This is not only a medical emergency, it's also a social one. And so we need to find ways to bring sociality to people and, and, and to open the door of the households and maybe using the, a phone call, maybe using other ways uh, and stop you know, and build networks instead of just a centralized uh, hotline. But since uh, you also ask about, um, about images and images of grief, uh, somebody from, from the chat line did so. I want to leave you with an image. At the end of the day, I'm an anthropologist. And, and I have this image in my mind today, which is a major of a city called Castelleone, who is walking alone, uh, every dead uh, person to the cemetery. Uh, they are lucky enough to still have places in the cemetery in my town and in my province they, they do, do not have any space so they are they are using other crematorium because they can't um, the cremating you know areas because they services because they cannot accommodate that but in his town they still have places in the cemetery but there is no funeral P people are uh, unable to accompany their 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 relatives um, and their their mourning alone at home, and um, and that means that they're shattered. And the, the the least you can do is to accompany each of them, you know, with the with the national flag uh, dress, the way in which mayor in Italy do, and and he's just taking that as a service. He does that uh, by himself. Um, so I think this this speaks about the 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 grief. Um, that we are facing, but also uh, the ways in which each of us can can go beyond our role to uh, 
to build a different a different to learn from this and 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 bring bring about a different form of of sociality. Luisa Cortesi, Paolo Cavalieri, Giacomo Perinello, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I want to get you all back in a few weeks uh, to bring us up to date and continue this conversation. It's really moving. Uh, so thank you all for your time. And I, I want to thank everyone who participated today on COVID calls and remind you that tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern time, we have Amy Hamry from uh, Vanderbilt University who will be talking about disability and pandemic and COVID and disability justice. So we will look forward to speaking with you all then. And also this uh, recording will be available in just a few minutes on SoundCloud, on SoundCloud on the Slow Disaster podcast. Thank you all, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you everyone. Thank you.